This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Deal and James Lee. So on today's episode, we are talking with author, coach, and worship design guru, Jason Moore. Jason is the author of nine books and has designed worship alongside such leaders as Adam Hamilton, Michael Slaughter, Tony Campolo, Brian McLaren, and Leonard Sweet. Jason will be leading a workshop for this upcoming annual conference on created worship, discovering the power of the narrative experience. Jason, thanks for being on the show. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks, uh, Jason. I'm really excited that you're here, and uh, I'm looking forward to picking your brain on how churches can take their worship to the next level and everything. But before we get into the good stuff, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today. I will. I don't want to go back too far, but I will start by saying <laughs> uh, when I was in third grade, I discovered that I had the ability to draw, and I remember in third grade, the kids in my class always asked me to draw pictures for them and things like that, and so I knew at third grade that someday I want to be an artist when I grew up. Mm. And then when I was uh, between my junior high and high school years, um, I went on a, on a retreat called Chrysalis. It's kind of the Emmaus uh, community, uh, the youth version. And I felt a calling to ministry, which was kind of confusing to me because I knew I wanted to be an artist. And I had never uh, experienced or, or known of artists in ministry. I knew you could be a pastor, you could be a worship person. And so um, I used to joke that I had to, I thought I had to be a youth pastor that designed t-shirts on the side or something. <laughs> and, and so, you know, to fill out, fulfill my call, but also how God gifted me. And uh, when I went to art school one summer, um, asked for prayer one night at a band practice, uh, hey guys, uh, I, I don't, the money's not coming in. Can you help me out? And someone said, hey, our church, Gingosburg, uses graphic artists. You should uh, check them out. And I thought, what church knows anything about graphic arts? Uh, and so I didn't even bother following up. But one of the guys in the band called, set up an interview for me. It turned into an inter- internship, which uh, eventually turned into a full-time position. And uh, from Ginghamsburg, uh, I felt a strong call to help small, medium-sized churches do more creative things in worship. And so uh, after about three years on staff there, I started a ministry, um, my ministry today, Midnight Oil Productions, uh, to kind of help churches navigate uh, creativity. Now, I'm, I'm a big believer that it's not about media so much as it is about delivering the message in a way that is creative. So uh, some of those traditional versus non-traditional wars that people have, for me, it's all about creativity. You can do creative traditional worship. You can do creative non-traditional worship. My bent is probably a little more toward non-traditional, but uh, I think any church that chooses to be intentional can do creative things in worship, not for the purpose of creativity, but for the purpose of transformation. And so I really believe that uh, we are called to to be a reflection of the Creator in everything we do, uh, especially in worship. Amen. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, that for many Christians, I think even for myself growing up, being creative or being an artist almost didn't seem like it fit in the church. And yet... Mm -hmm. Interestingly, we worship a creative God, a God who created the universe. What more does it mean that when we tap into our creativity, are we actually tapping into the divine spark or the image of God that we are made of? Right. You know, I I often uh, say in my seminars that uh, we are created in the likeness of a creative God, which means that creativity is hardwired into who we are. Amen. And, And the church ought to be the most creative place. I mean, we have a direct link to the creator. And oftentimes what we experience in worship on in weekly worship 
is the least creative thing that we might experience in our week. And so it hmm. really ought to be the most creative place that, that people go. I, I think that far too often we're, we're way more focused on Sunday than we are on Monday. I think we have to focus more on what happens through the week, but, but creating an experience on Sunday that, that drives into the week that people uh, remember with great detail and, and drive them deeper in their faith and, and missional action in the world. Yeah, and you're talking about, you know, churches being intentional with their creativity. What does that look like? How can churches be more creative? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, um, sometimes the way that we plan worship is is more like the broken body of Christ rather than the, the body of Christ where each of us have different gifts and skills that we bring together. And so everyone kind of goes to their silo and they do their own little thing. And, and the pastor may be really concerned that he or she is writing a really great sermon. I've worked with musicians who you know, they care that the sermon's good, but at the end of the day, they just want to do a great music set and, and so on. And so we have everybody kind of in their own areas, focused on their own things, and not really thinking about kind of the narrative experience of worship. There's a difference between wanting your piece to be really great and wanting the entire experience to be really good. So I think part of it starts with just being intentional about planning worship as a team. So how do musicians, pastors, liturgists, drama people, not people that create drama, but, but people who write drama. Oh, you, you <laughs> we have got those them, though, yeah. <laughs> them yeah. too, them too. Um, how, how do we look at the gospel and, and through a process that I call mutual discovery, we look at the text together and we have these epiphanies together. We mutually discover what the text is saying. And then uh, from that, we create an experience of worship that, um, that connects to people at a deeper level. And when you take the gospel, and you wrap it up with a metaphor, and you do the work of redeeming that metaphor, after you take that image, or take the gospel, tie it to that image, when worship is over, and you re-encounter that image, you re-encounter the gospel. So it, uh, one example that I use, it's really simple, I use this a lot in my seminar, because I have a bottled water on the on the podium next to me, but you could pick up a bottled water and say, is this half empty or half full? And if you built your entire worship experience around, are we living a half-empty or half-full lifestyle. In the Spirit, we can live half-full. Um, if you do the work of tying that gospel message, obviously you'd root it in Scripture and, and maybe in some of the prayer that you would use. You might have bottled water you know, in worship or whatever. Um, after you've done the work of redeeming that metaphor, the next time someone is sitting at a table at lunch and there's a bottle of water sitting there, um, all of a sudden now that question that came to mind throughout that entire worship experience comes back again and again and again. So uh, I really believe that if we can tie the gospel, and it's not that a bottle of water is the most uh, holy of objects, but neither was a mustard seed until Jesus picked it up and he said, your faith ought to be like this. Mm. Um, I think if we're intentional about the images that we choose in worship, um, and we, we use them for the purpose of communication, so uh, we, we're trying to say something through those images, when people leave worship and they re-encounter those images, they re-encounter the gospel, which means we have to wrestle with it again. And I think it has the ability to drive people deeper in their faith. All right. So you're talking about imagery. And, you know, we have a quote from your upcoming workshop that, you know, our culture is mainly 60%, 67% of visual learners. And according to the same study, I think you um, mentioned in your workshop description um, that learning increases by 400% when you use images to teach. So does that mean that churches should really kind of utilize technology with TV, you know, TV sets and visual screens to, you know, because you're saying object with the water bottle, but can churches do it more so with imagery on screens or is this counterproductive? 
You know, I think the screen allows us to do things that we can't do in other ways. Um, I want to. I always, though, want to be careful uh, in saying that images aren't just on the screen. So images can be spoken. They can be held in our hands. They can be present on the chancel. Um, I like to say that the screen is not the canvas for creative worship. It's just one part of a very big picture. Um, you know, sometimes holding an object in your hand has way more power than looking at something on the screen. So I do a, one of the worship experiences that I do is um, it's called uh, set in motion. And the idea it's based on John 15 as the father loves me. So I love you. And it's using the domino effect uh, metaphor, the, the um, love of the father passes into the son through the disciples throughout time into someone's life that passes into yours. And then you get to be a continuation of that movement. So when people come into worship, everybody gets a domino. I've got this opening animation that I've done that the dominoes knocked down and it says set, set in motion. Um, and there's a moment in that worship experience where I have people hold those dominoes and, and reflect on them for a moment. Every domino has a different number of dots. Um, God gifts us in different ways, um, gives us different, uh, skills, gifts, uh, financial ability, you know, all those things. And when you bring all those things together, um, you can be this incredible movement. So there's a moment in worship where I have people bring those dominoes forward and we build a domino rally right there in worship. And that's kind of the final moment in the benediction is to go over and knock down the first domino. And hopefully it makes it all the way across. Uh, if it doesn't, I always say we serve a God of second chances, uh, have that line ready to go. <laughs> but, um, but ultimately, holding on to that domino, you didn't. You wouldn't even have to have a screen necessarily uh, to have those things right there present in the room. Right. And uh, and again, my goal is that I want people. What I will often say is, take that domino, put it in your pocket, uh, put it in your on your dresser, on your bathroom counter, somewhere you're going to see it every day as a reminder that you are part of this amazing uh, God movement, and that um, all all you have to do is sort of dock, knock over the next domino. Uh, so to mm. speak, uh, in, in those around you in your life. And so um, it's not just about screens. I don't know that every church is called to have a screen. Yeah, um, I, would almost, I would almost argue that if we had a screen and a mountain and clouds going through in the video during this particular worship service you're talking about, dominoes, it would almost be yeah. distracting and oh, yeah. draw away yep. from the from the metaphor. I, you know, that's, that's the thing I see happen a lot is some churches have embraced kind of creativity and using images and things like that. Now, if you go from that, where you've set up this domino metaphor, to now we're seeing clouds and people with their hands in the air or <laughs> babbling brooks or whatever, right. it really kind of, you have to like, you reset the room a little bit and now images have power. So every image that you put on the screen elicits some kind of response and people have to process it. So if I see a deer panting for water, or if I see a picture of the galaxy as we sing God of wonders beyond our galaxies or whatever, you've taken me four or five different places. And now after we're done singing, we have to reel them back in and say, Oh, now don't forget, we're talking about the domino effect today. Mm. You know, so I would agree with what, what you just said there. I, I think that we should be intentional about our communication. Great. So thank you, Jason. Uh, but Jason, kind of the uh, small church pastor mind in me, and I'm and you you consult a lot of small churches, so they'll be. I'm sure you can answer this really well. But the small church pastor mind in me is saying, Jason, that sounds great, that sounds wonderful, 
but hey, listen, I am the sole designer, planner, and executor of the whole worship service. Sure. You're telling me to do this every single Sunday? That sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> what would you say to uh, that pastor? Well, I would have a couple of responses to that. Um, the first thing I would say is um, I would never try to do this all by myself. I think that, um, you know, if you can gather two or three people around you, just to bounce ideas off of um, my my friend Kim Miller, who worked with me at Gingosburg, often talks about how teams dream, develop, and deploy. They do those three things, and uh, it's hard to do all that by yourself. So, just surrounding yourself with a few other people can be uh, can can really help you. Um, the second thing I would say is no, this is not a you're not going to hand out dominoes and build a domino rally every week in worship. Like <laughs> I always say that I might have three or four really big creative worship experiences over the course of a year, like once a quarter. You know, if you handed out something every week, so we get a domino this week, and the next week we get Play-Doh, and the next week after that we get, it would become the trinket of the week, and it wouldn't mean anything. Mm. So it has to be sort of spread out, few and far between. So the pressure isn't that every week you're doing this amazing creative worship production, it is that, you know, a few times a year, you're really kind of upping the ante. Now, I really believe that every week you can use an image um, to, and especially if you do series, you might have three or four weeks all devoted to the same metaphor, and that that'll really allows you to spread your creativity out. Uh, the other thing I would say is that most pastors uh, in small churches that I have coached and, and uh, consulted with know how to do children's sermons. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you've been in a church that does a children's sermon, that is the time that all the adults perk up and they pay attention. And, you know, it's, it's like better <laughs> than coffee. That's true, actually. Yeah. You know? uh, that is the moment where all the adults kind of perk up and pay attention. Now, what I can't figure out is why the children's moment is over. We send the kids off to Sunday school and then we go back to boring adult worship where we don't do any <laughs> props or any images or, you know, anything like that. So I always say that if you know how to plan a children's moment, you know how to plan uh, creative worship. Mm. You just have to extend it through the entire experience. And so, um, and, and also, uh, let me, uh, one last piece of this is that it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. So uh, one of my favorite example experiences that I helped design, we were looking at um, uh, in Luke where John the Baptist is t- com- talking about the coming of Christ. And he uses a, a perfect metaphor for an agricultural uh, society, he says, when Jesus comes, he's going to bring a winnowing fork and he's going to separate wheat from chaff and he's going to clear it on his threshing floor and he's going to gather the wheat into his barn but burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, if you didn't grow up on a farm and you didn't grow up in church, what exactly is a threshing floor? And we know what wheat is, but what's chaff and what's a winnowing fork? And so all of those images today require a little bit of explanation. Uh, so what I have done in, with a team is um, we looked at uh, the metaphor of coffee. And so in order to make coffee, you have a filter that's like a winnowing fork that separates the wheat or the flavor of the coffee from the chaff or the grounds of the coffee. And so when it's all done, you know, you don't have to throw in the unquenchable fire. But for this worship experience, um, I have brought in coffee-scented candles into the sanctuary. So it smells like coffee when you come in. I've used those little uh, solo... Um, condiment cups and put like a whole coffee bean in. And so there's a moment in worship where, and if, if you were talking about how we have our hearts become hardened when sin enters our life. And sometimes we can't unlock the flavor of Jesus in the world. 
um, we have to grind up the beans or break up that sin, so to speak, uh, in order to, to, you know, allow that flavor to flow through us. So I'll have people take those coffee beans. I want you to break that up. You can't do it, right? Because it has to be ground up and roasted in order to unlock that flavor. And then there's a moment in that worship experience toward the end where, um, a team of people would have pre-taped coffee filters under the pews or under the seats. And we have a moment where we ask people to reach under their seats and grab that coffee filter and write on that filter the things that needed to be separated in their lives in order to be uh, pure to the last drop, which is our theme for that service. Um, but it's very multi-sensory. It's tactile. It's it's holding that coffee bean. It's the smell of coffee in the room. It's the, the um, experience of writing on that filter. And then for me, the thing that I love more then what happens on that in that service on Sunday is to think about Monday morning when people run by Starbucks or McDonald's or they go to the break room or they brew their coffee. And now what you're holding in your hand is this reminder that we can separate the wheat from the chaff in our lives. And it's not that you omit uh, the original metaphor, but it is that you use this coffee as a doorway into that truth. So now I don't have to explain to you what coffee is. I have to explain to you what wheat and chaff and threshing floors. And so if you use a metaphor that's inherently understood, requires no explanation, it allows us to enter into, pass into the story in a way that allows us then, I think, to take it with us when Sunday is over. So the last thing I'll say is that you can buy 200 coffee filters for $1.99. Nice. You know? um, so it, you could buy a, whole, a bag of whole coffee beans for 8 bucks. So even if you're in a church of 30 people, you know, you could go and spend five dollar, eight, ten dollars on coffee filters and coffee beans, and do worship that will hopefully last, you know, for the rest of the week. Or maybe even every time someone grabs a cup of coffee, now they're thinking about wheat and chaff, and and uh, am I am I entering to into that process with the spirit? So uh, again, it's not about creativity so much as it is the transformation that happens as a result of the creativity that we are using in worship. Absolutely. And I really like the, you know, the parallel that you put with the children's ministry that like really hit. I was like, this makes so much sense. Because when I was a toddler teacher, we used the imagery we had, you know, where they can touch and feel and smell and hear. And why not put that in worship with the adult services? Why not yeah. add those imageries in all your senses and get them all involved in teaching? It's brilliant. <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I talk about, um, and I'll, this, some of this will be in, in my workshop as well, but um, every church that's intentional about uh, what it is you're trying to say and how you say it uh, can really do creative worship. I think it's within the grasp of any church that wants to try. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Uh, as we mentioned in your intro, you've designed worship experiences alongside some very respected pastors and church leaders of well-known churches. Uh, and I, I kind of want to pick your brain on the process, the step-by-step -step process, because some pastors, I would imagine it's like Saturday evening and I go, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? Right. But yes. what is, what is your process? What was your process of designing a worship service? Let's say in Gingersburg with Michael Slaughter. Sure. Well, um, they don't even use the process we used when I was there, Oh wow. which was, which was crazy, I'll just tell you. <laughs> uh, we started on Wednesday morning at 8.30, and we were usually done around 2 or 3, and that was to do that weekend's worship. So we would be designing original videos and animation and sometimes writing dramas, and everything had to be done by uh, 2.30 on uh, Saturday. And that meant that from Wednesday until about Saturday, uh, we didn't sleep, we didn't see our families, we... <laughs> 
you know, I didn't have kids back then. I wasn't married at the time. Like, um, Mike Slaughter used to loves to even today talk about how I used to sleep on his couch in his office because uh, I'd be up, you know, till two or three in the morning, and sometimes the computer is rendering these videos that I'm I'm working oh, on. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how um, many years ago was this? This was uh, ninety-seven to two thousand, so it's you know it's so been a while. The rendering would take overnight, maybe yes. even two days yeah. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there were times that uh, it was still rendering you know, an hour before worship. Oh my was, goodness. And, and you just had to I'm, hope. I know the feeling. No oh. <laughs> um, so I would not recommend that process. And like I said, they don't even do that process anymore. Um, my ideal process is to have uh, worship design retreats that might be, you know, uh, three months out from the actual worship that you're doing. So um, you might meet, say, in January to start talking about um, April, May, uh, June. And it's really about not designing every aspect of worship. You're not going to pick out the songs in those meetings, and you're not going to figure out every individual aspect of it. But um, kind of, I, I call it sort of the underpinnings of worship. Uh, what is the word? What is the scripture we want to base this on? What is the felt need that we're addressing um, I like to think about, you know, what are people coming in? What is it that we're trying to, what is the human condition that we are speaking to in this series? Um, what is the metaphor or the image and the title? And then the last thing, uh, and this is one I think we don't focus on enough in the church. What is the goal or desired outcome of worship? What do you want people to do as a result? If if people walk out and they don't know immediately what to do. I think we have kind of failed. I, I often say in my seminars, everything we say in worship is theory until we give people a chance to put it into practice. And I don't think we're specific enough about how to put it into practice. So um, I like to say, you know, you come to the end of the sermon, you say, you want to live into God's domino effect in the world. Here are three opportunities to do that this week and to give them opportunities, you know, to, to go be in mission or to go do a study, or you know something like that. Now, uh, for a pastor, if you're a pastor and you want to plan, say, an entire year's worth of worship out, you can still do that too. What I always say though is stop to stop before you get to like titles and metaphors, because you want your team to do that with you. If if you kind of bake the cake and ice it and put sprinkles on it, <laughs> you come to your team and you say, okay, we're making cake. I've already iced it, put sprinkles on, help me make this cake better. Well, you've already baked the cake. So what I like to do is say, come to your team, exegeting the scripture. Um, let's say we know first the first series is going to be about healing. Um, and here are the scriptures that I want to use and all that. Rather than come with like your metaphor as, um, you know, uh, fresh out of the box or something. And, and, you know, having all of those little, little things figured out. Allow your team to do that work with you, and I, I I've experienced that that will uh, take creativity to another level. But that's so hard, though. That's so hard because when you when you have a, an idea, right, a creative idea, usually there's so much emotion attached to it, right? Yes. If 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 I if I have this creative idea and I bring it to like a team and they say no, we don't like it, and they change it, and and by the end it's a completely different uh, entity. Kind of, kind of breaks your heart, doesn't it? Oh, I've I've worked with a lot of pastors who say they want to do collaborative worship design, but they don't really collaborate. They do all the work, all the creative work, and then they come to their team and they want their team to execute rather than collaborate with them. Um, and for me, one of the best models of this, I've I've had the good fortune of uh, 
getting to do a little work in Hollywood. So I've worked with some television shows and production. So I've got a bunch of writer friends in the in the industry. And a, a couple of years ago, I read I led a um, panel at UMC Lead out in Los Angeles uh, two years ago in January, and uh, I got twelve or I I wrote twelve of my writer friends. Five of them came, and these are all people on shows that are like on CBS and. Uh, if you've ever heard of the show Black Sales, which just had its last episode, uh, I know the guy who created that. Uh, he sat on my panel. He's a friend of mine. So I had all of these guys in this panel, and I was asking them about what it's like to collaborate. Any episode of scripted television that you watch is written by a group of 12 to 15 writers. Wow. And uh, so it's not that one person sits down, they figure the whole thing out. You know, a, a group of writers come together, and at the beginning of the season, they, they call it breaking the season. So they'll sit down. They say, where do, where do we want our characters to be on episode one? Where do we want them to be on episode 13 or whatever? And then they figure out the arc and everything that happens in between all those things. And one of the things I kept, I, I kept pressing them on is, um, what are your best tips? Like I had a room full of pastors and, and my friends are not people of faith, but, uh, they're collaborators. They write, you know, and I said, uh, they, they said two things that I think are really helpful. I guess this is what I'm getting to. Uh, the first thing, which is not related, but I'll say it anyway, is that first off, everything you do as a writer has to move you first. If you're not excited by what it is that you're creating, then the people that are going to tune in for what you're creating aren't going to be excited. So I said to my pastor friends in the room, if people aren't, if you're not excited about your sermon and what you're putting together, if you can't wait to get out of bed on Sunday to preach it, then your congregation is not going to be excited to get up and hear you preach it on Sunday. I thought that was a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the second thing, though, that they said that was really helpful for me, and I think kind of addresses what your your concern was there, is they said, you know, at the end of the day, all that we care about is that the best idea wins. It doesn't matter whose idea it is. They said, we don't care if it's the writer's assistant whose job is to deliver coffee and make sure there are enough yellow legal pads and pencils in the room and, you know... Um, it doesn't matter if it's that person or if it's the showrunner or executive producer of the entire show. We don't care whose idea it is. The best idea goes into worship or into the show. And I think the same thing is true in worship, which means that as a pastor, you may benefit from the fact that I have not been to seminary and I'm, I'm a lay person uh, and I have a different perspective than you. But because we're working together, you get to hear from a lay person this is what I hear when you say that. I think when we are intentional about creating a narrative worship experience where all of the pieces are connected to the same story, uh, we create worship that lasts into the week and, and, and into life. Uh, and so much of the way that worship is done when we're not intentional about creativity, it's almost like a little pageant where everybody gets their little their little act or whatever. Okay, now we do this little piece, and now we're doing this little piece. And it's sort of more pageantry than it is having a narrative experience where the music speaks to the idea that the sermon's going to speak to and the, the, the liturgy speaks to the sermon and uh, the children's moment, all those things speak to one big idea rather than everybody having their little moment that it's hard to walk out of worship and remember five things. It's easy to work, walk out of worship and remember the one big idea right. that, that everybody, but, but it takes some coordination to get there. Right. And, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, the worship team, you know, and some churches, I'm sure, don't have worship teams. So what are some steps that, you know, the pastor can do to start, you know, I feel like a person has to be passionate about it. So evaluating yeah. your congregation, your lay people to see who should be on, you know, this worship team 
designed by the pastor. So what's some steps that the pastor can start taking to get that team together? Well, you know, uh, it is a pretty big paradigm shift to go from solo planning to planning with a group. Um, and, and your congregation is not going to immediately know that that shift has happened. So I think the first thing is just um, making an invitation. Um, as I told you earlier, I have been an artist since I was in third grade, but I never, I never knew I could use my artistic gifts in church. And I would have loved to have had the opportunity, but nobody had ever really asked me before. And so I think that the first thing is you make invitations. So is there anybody out there uh, in, the, in the church that likes to take pictures? Uh, we're putting together a brand new worship design team. And so if you love to take pictures, you could be a perfect fit for our team. Um, how, are there, is there anybody amongst uh, us who uh, likes to write uh, drama or likes to write period? You know, um, we're looking to put together a team to, to take our worship to another level. So I think uh, first and foremost is just asking. You know, the answer is always no if you don't ask. And so I think um, that would be one of the places that I would start. Um, I also think that if, you know, most of the pastors that I've worked with, even in small churches, and the majority of churches I work with are, are kind of small and medium size, um, have a pretty good sense of who's in their congregation. Uh, so I, I'm working, I'm coaching a church uh, here in Ohio, and the pastor, um, <laughs> he he recruits through some of the things that he does uh, in the church. So he actually did a wedding for a couple and the, the husband of uh, the bride was a graphic designer. And so um, he went through the wet marital counseling. And by the end of that thing, he said, by the way, we're starting this worship design team. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they were not even like regular attendees. They were just sort of getting married at the church. But this guy who uh, just came there to get married ended up becoming a regular part of their worship design team. And, and, and he's unpaid. Like he... He runs a sign shop, uh, or, or it's not his sign shop, but he's the kind of the boss there, and does that through the week, but will come to their worship design team meetings and provide graphics and everything. Uh, but it's just that he, he made the invitation, so he knew who he had. Um, I also think that you know young people have amazing uh, abilities that we don't really ever tap into. Uh, I, I often joke at my seminar, if uh, your young people know uh, how to tweet and uh, do you know Snapchat and all those things? And if you don't know what all those things are, we'll lay hands on you later. Uh, but the young people, you know, they don't even have to be taught. But if you can harness the the um, intuitive nature of young people who are passionate about those things, you can achieve pretty amazing things. So you know, it's it's really about asking. I think um, you know if if folks want to be a part of that process. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason. Again, Jason, we are so excited that you're coming to the Greater New Jersey Annual Conference to give a workshop on creative worship. Uh, you've kept kind of plugging into, I'm going to go into more in the workshop for this, but can you give another quick just like teaser as to sure. why someone should register to your particular workshop? <laughs> because it is going to be the greatest thing ever. No. <laughs> um, Bottle half full. <laughs> I'm going to give lots of really practical, easy to implement things. I'm going to talk about time-tested methodologies for worship. So regardless of if you're doing uh, traditional or non, uh, there are some things, I'm going to talk about uh, metaphor, story, experience, and participation. How do you create worship that engages people at a deeper level? Uh, You quoted that statistic I think I threw in my description, but we are 67% visual learners as a culture. 
and uh, learning increases by 400%. So I'm going to talk about specifically what kind of images are we uh, using, how do we uh, achieve that, that greater learning potential. Um, we will touch on how do we create worship that speaks to this very visual and creative culture that we live in. What I'm going to talk about is kind of holistic uh, worship. How do we create worship that every aspect of it kind of narratively captures the gospel and speaks to it throughout the entire uh, experience? So good, lots of good tips, I think. Great. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. So we have one final question that we ask all of our guests. And um, as Methodists, we like to eat and we're the Uncovered Dish podcast. So if you can choose one food to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no alterations or anything, what would it be? For the rest of your life. Uh, You know, I am a huge fan of pizza. Pizza, I, another pizza. I, you know, <laughs> what is that? I, like? American ten culture. To, ten to two or something with for pizza. I am, uh, yeah, you know, I, I could eat pizza multiple times a day. And Any unfortunately, kinds of pizza. Uh, you know, there's not a lot. Of, a lot of pizza. I'm a, Some people think that um, pineapple does not belong on pizza. I like a Hawaiian pizza, but uh, you know that that's that's up there for me. Well, so that's um, a first Hawaiian pizza. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know. There's really not much you can put on a pizza that I don't I don't enjoy. I'm not a huge fan of anchovies, but other than that, you know, I'll, I'll pretty much I'll pretty much go with whatever you give me. <laughs> Great, thank you so much, Jason. I look forward to seeing you at the annual conference. All right. Well, all right. thanks for uh, the chance to talk to you all. Good, thank you. Good luck with your podcast. Again, guys, uh, this was Jason Moore uh, of Midnight Oil Productions, and you can find more information at MidnightOilsProductions.com. Uh, he is leading a workshop for this upcoming annual conference for the Greater New Jersey Annual Conference on creative worship, discovering the power of the narrative experience. Please, uh, if you haven't done so already, please register at GNJUMC.org for the annual conference, and be sure to also register for Jason's workshop. Thank you, Jason, for being on the show. No problem. Good to be with you. Yeah, and we'll see you in May. All right. All right. Sounds awesome. great. Bye. Thank you. All right. Thank you again for tuning in today's podcast. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. We will be posting a new podcast every other Wednesday, so if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.